0: listening to Burn in Return, a weekly 1-hour podcast covering news from the agricultural and turfgrass industries. Ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, and hey, even if you identify as a vintage can of crystal clear Pepsi, we're here for you tonight because we welcome all people including our great friend, uh, we've got Ray here tonight. Matt is off, but Tonight, we've got, live by a satellite from Germany, actually, that's not true, it's just going through the internet, but just believe that we have a satellite up and he's military, he can set that kind of shit up, we've got uh, a gentleman (laughs) who is incredibly well spoken, even more eloquently uh, well thought, and uh, he's about to have two children under the age of two, so I'm not going to talk about what he does best, I'm just going to let you draw your own inferences and take it from there. Robert Palmer, how are you this (laughs) evening, sir?
1: i'm good man i'm good thanks for having me gentlemen it is a honor honor and a privilege to be on the same stage with you two fine gentlemen this evening looking forward to these articles we're going to get in and uh yeah just looking
0: for a good night well you know the good thing i'm i'm, I'm glad that you're here because i think you bring a, a fresh perspective and uh it, it'll be good to have you here i don't know that it'll get quite as brought up as what matt will so We'll see how the dynamic goes and everything like that, but you know the best thing about being on the same stage with you is that we saved some money tonight because we didn't have to hire a stunt comer to come in for this, so that's good too. Now, without further ado, we'll dive into those articles. Jay Pink, roll that headlines footage. Nothing to fear here. This is just the. Well, the news out of Europe. Not so good here, boys and girls. Uh, fertilizer Rescue Plan brings no relief to Europe's farmers and industry. Uh, so Dateline here, the uh, crunch on nature-based fertilizers isn't the only issue for farmers in Europe that have been grappling with uh, the war in Ukraine and also uh, some tariffs and some other inst- uh, institutions out there that are not really looking out for their best interest, Ray. Uh, you know, the new communication simply fails to provide concrete answers to the shortcomings faced by European farmers. Uh so basically ba- what they're saying here guys is that uh you know because of the natural gas situation over there that we've covered at length here and how uh you know Yara and other uh, manufacturers have sort of cut into how much that they're going to supply based on the fact that it's just too expensive to supply right uh they kind of came up with this plan right that that uh the EU out of Brussels right that kind of collectively watchdogs and is supposed to shepherd through all the farmers and everything like that they are trying to make sure that there's a plan in place to uh, for, for fertilizer manufacturers to obtain their natural grass and keep everything running. So uh, the article goes on to say here, but the adopted text is no longer as explicit, with the commission instead pointing out that member states may prioritize the continued and uninterrupted uh, access to natural gas for fertilizer producers in their national uh, emergency plans in the event of gas rationing. So what they're saying here, guys, is that essentially, you know, they're they're giving them a pathway, right? They're giving the manufacturers a pathway. Hey, we can give you everything you want and everything you need. Maybe, we hope, but if there's a national emergency or if the government uh, in your home country or the EU decides that you don't need it, well, we're going to step in and say so. So, again, we're on this energy situation. And, Robert, you know, you're living in the middle of the uh, epicenter of this right now. So I'm very curious to hear, you know, what, what's the local uh you know vibe, and what is the local uh feelings around the, you know just the energy situation there you know gas prices natural gas prices have shot up, people are worried that it's going to be a cold winter and all that kind of stuff. so what are you seeing here and feeling there on the ground in germany
1: you you hit the nail on the head man um most of the locals are just hoping for a warm winter for those comments that you just made um the longer it stays warm, which it actually has been maintaining a Awkwardly warm temperature um, because the fuel prices uh and the natural gas prices have increased easily uh 30 to 50 percent in some of the regions out here. Um Luckily uh for me, I-, I am in the military, so I'm already rationed for fuel at a discounted cost. You know, we they removed the tariffs for us. So as a, you know, American here supporting the country in these times, I know it's a really stressful uh, period for the local populace. They're just they're hoping for a warm winter and uh, the faith and um, government I can see is definitely swaying on how this will go. It's unfortunate.
0: Yeah. 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 (laughs) So, Ray, the part that I wanted to talk to you about here on this one is, um, you know, they talk about. Sort of the things we've talked about here domestically, right, where they're not letting a crisis go to waste. And Brussels is saying that, hey, there's an over-reliance on synthetic fertilizers. We need to get away from this. What a great wake-up call, guys, right, for us to be able to have this opportunity and to uh, usher out, you know, these types of products. And so uh, there's a couple of quotes here in the article that I thought that were interesting here. They say that fertilizers are notoriously overpriced across the EU, but there is a limit to how much nutrients crops can take in. A study in Germany found that only 61% of fertilizer is reaching wheat crops while the rest is wasted. No link or source from that study, though. So again, no uh, you s- know, there's a- No link or source, and
2: here we go with government coming in and literally creating a solution We're mandating a solution for a problem that doesn't exist because, Robert and Ryan, how many times have I said that, you know, growers and farmers and producers, they are Mm -hmm. are already, you know, basically walking a tightrope, even under ideal circumstances where if the amount of inputs that they put into a given hectare of, say, wheat, exceeds the income that they're going to get from that given area it just doesn't add up because the way that these various governments talk it's as if they think that the farmers just spray and spread everything willy-nilly you know without regard whereas last time i checked the Fertilizer fairy and the herbicide fairy doesn't just visit their barn, waver, waver magic wand, and boom, there's a pallet of fertilizer and a, and a drum of herbicide in that barn. I mean, it doesn't happen. I mean, I, no. I, it kind of chaps, chaps my butt when I hear that, oh, there's waste, there's over-application. Where? I mean, because even under ideal circumstances, I know darn well that farmers are some of the least wasteful people I know they just can't afford to't uh, afford that's, it.
0: The, that's the interesting part of the article is they talk about how you know farmers have bought substantially less fertilizer this year at those higher costs, right, and they've basically said, nah, we're not going to do it, so I'd be interested to see if you know if these groups think that things come in more equilibrium or their you know data or whatever methods that they're using to. Uh, substantiate these numbers about how much is wasted and not all that kind of stuff bears out here but real quick before we move on to the next one Robert I mean from a, a gardening standpoint I know that you are a huge gardener and for the folks that don't know uh, turf is not your only thing even though it's your nickname garden as a nickname is just not going to work for anybody I don't think but, uh, <laughs> uh, but my question to you there is you know on a small scale or you know the folks that you've interacted with here in the states across there in uh, Europe uh, you know, at that scale, right? It's not a a production farm or anything like that. But how do you view people, uh, you know, taking the, their their approach to fertilizing gardens, right, for food production over there versus well, here honest, in the United States? It,
1: it, I, I'd say that they're somewhere along the same lines, uh, from the aspect of your average backyard gardener, uh, because of statements like we just uh, these unfounded non substantiated claims that are being made uh in the lack of education most backyard gardeners are very timid and weary of using anything that's synthetic anyway uh mm. they they take a sense of pride of the movement of uh everything's organic even though they really don't fully understand what those principles means um so i'd say they're neck and neck the 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 european okay. culture definitely leans further towards hey, leans in harder. And I think they would have a be- they actually are better educated on what organic gardening is and what it should look like. And uh I would argue in the States, unfortunately, is closer to uh the gluten free uh phase that we had uh um, <laughs> the states about five to six years ago when we were putting gluten-free labels on bags of rice so um that's
0: my perspective on that yeah uh i for one yeah uh, if you you haven't noticed um you know for those of you that have seen me in person or not uh i do not participate in gluten-free anything so (laughs) neither neither do i neither do i i mean gluten-free my foot (laughs) and you couldn't have more of a disparity in body type ray but here we are in the same club and that's why i love you sir all right, moving on to our next article here. Uh, public sounds off in on Watsonville uh, pesticide notification program. This is out of the Santa Cruz Sentinel out there in uh, beautiful California. A. So uh, they're showing here uh, that they're trying to do a notification program for uh, a very sensitive community here in and around the city of Watsonville. So on Thursday, more than 200 people gather virtually to voice opinions on a pesticide notification program occurring in Watsonville and other sites around California. In 2021, the California Department of Pesticide Regulation announced pesticide notification programs to increase transparency around pesticide application. So after a public comment period, the department selected four sites to pilot the program, including Watsonville. So, you know, they're testing this stuff out there, and uh, coming up this July, the uh, senior village community, right, they've got the sort of, not assisted living from what I researched, but more of a retirement community, gentlemen uh that uh, they're going to be doing this where uh essentially they'll put out a warning uh 72 hours in advance and then uh from there it's not really like you they can stop it or anything like that it's just to give them three days notice that hey something is going to be applied and i think they'll give them the active ingredients uh what's interesting here is so they talk about uh you know one of the owners of the farms nearby participated in the Watsonville pilot program uh as they start to roll out last year and said that the current process was straightforward however He's worried that a longer notification time and a requirement to notify for all pesticides would be a step too far. I don't know how I'm supposed to notify hundreds of people every time we apply a pesticide. Ice camp pulled the sentinel on the day of the meeting. We're making decisions on the fly as far as pest pressure. We have to respond. We cannot wait seventy two hours. So, gentlemen, uh, you know, i am curious because, you know, we, we all make pesticide applications, right? And, you know, we all want what's best for the public and the people that are around not just on the properties that we treat so you know what say you about a um a government administered program like this number one and number two you know what steps if you you know uh were going to deal with neighbors deal with you know adjoining properties things like that and you knew that there were sensitive communities there what steps did you take that weren't maybe necessarily required by law but you know, maybe out of uh, professional courtesy or whatever. What do you guys think about that?
2: Okay, uh, I can start because, as you know, I'm frequently treating in extremely densely populated areas. And this all goes back to good product stewardship. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, I am not that guy trying to make an application in a 15 or 20 mile per hour wind. I know some people that do, irregardless. They get their hands slapped or worse. But every time something like that happens, it puts a real black eye on our industry and anybody that deals in pesticides because then the perception is, oh, these people, they spray, they don't care, and we need to shut it all down and stop it all. So it's and even on a day that is considered you know lower risk for drift mm-hmm. I do everything possible to mitigate and minimize drift you know because again I I am I don't want to be that guy where they see me working and there's a cloud of spray you know, just coming off of that property and floating through the entire neighborhood. I don't want to be that guy. So, and speaking to commercial growers and farmers, I can tell you that the commercial operations, they sometimes are their own worst enemy because I remember when seed corn research and seed corn production was really big here in Hawaii. And I saw something that just alarmed me. Never mind what it looked like to uneducated people. I saw a high-clearance boom sprayer going through a corn plot, and the spray drift was incredible. You know, the spray drift was just going several feet beyond the field and of course again i kind of understand i get it however i'm just thinking for the uneducated and the fearful person what does that mm-hmm. look like to them and oh well, by the yeah. way as, and and as a result seed corn operations in hawaii are
0: essentially gone no more oh because of because of the Drift potential on those applications.
2: Well, because of the drift potential, and because essentially people got on the got on the asses of their representatives and Uh wanted it shut down. I mean, they wanted to write pesticide regulations in such a way that would make it virtually impossible for a grower to operate. And they succeeded because uh, last time I checked, Syngenta, Dupont, Pioneer Hybrid, etc. They all packed up and they left.
0: They're gone. Hmm. So, Robert, I mean, on the this perception side, like, well, and you're dealing with it now, probably with where you're at. I would think, right? What? <laughs> how freaked out do your neighbors get, especially the uh, the natives? Right, where it's like. Holy shit! There's a guy out there with a backpack sprayer right now. Like, what's, what's the, <laughs> the, the, the what Time's is the up, feelings? It's over. There you go. They're like, all right.
1: <laughs> so for me, um, I had to go through a very lengthy process to even do what I'm doing out here. They they put me through the paces for me to prove my competency in being <laughs> able to even start digging up and uh, reseeding this entire lawn. Um, So the neighbors at this point, uh, they've gotten used to it. I'm sure they're still interested when they see me doing things, but there's a sense of peace because they know that I have permission to do everything that I'm doing out here through the local um, public uh, work system that works out here. But the thing that disturbs me most about this article here, I will tell you, Ryan, is um, it it lacks education, right? So we're opening up a Mm -hmm. Pandora's box where you're putting a litigation on professionals who should be, acting professionally, right? Not like what Ray just described. So if you're within the realms of doing what you're supposed to be doing as a professional applicator, and my man, he hit a nail on the head saying, some things you have to react to in 72 hours, your crop is gone. So I think a a better way, Mm -hmm. a better approach for the government to do is maybe Create some type of notification system. Like he said, how is he supposed to reach hundreds of people, potentially thousands of people, depending on highly densely populated areas, develop a website or an app where this population that are interested, that are so interested in what's happening in their area, not only with the notification, but with some type of education, on those things that those farmers are applying within regulation and properly. That way, not only are they being notified when it's happening right then their day, like they can get note. Okay. This happened this day. Okay. And this is what they applied. And this is why they applied it. And this is what it's going to do. And we just need to stay out of this area for the next 12 hours. I think that would be a lot more because if you don't do that and you're just notifying people, Hey, he's going to go out there and spray X, Y, Z. And then they're going to go down the rabbit hole where everything causes cancer. And the next thing you know, that pesticide is going to be banned. I think this open, this open-ended transparency without education is going to lead to more banned per- pesticides. That's that's the end state. It's going to be terrible for the green industry uh, overall without education. Robert, so just, I
2: can I, that's where I'm I can at. agree with that. I can agree with that because the seed corn. Researchers and growers were faced with that exact type of notification system for all applications, and it was as a result, they just said fuck it, and they packed up and left. Because here's a little fun fact.
3: Okay. At the core of the issue was the notification
2: system placed special notification requirements on restricted-use pesticides. And the perception is, is that oh, a restricted-use pesticide is restricted because it's extremely toxic. Yes and no, because here's a fun fact for you all that are following along. Did you know that the bifenthrin that you routinely apply to your lawn and around your house for insect control is a a federally restricted use pesticide once it is labeled for application to a growing agricultural crop did you all know that Mm. bifenthrin Mm. okay everybody knows bifenthrin because that's like one of the most commonly used insect controls but a seed corn grower for example needs to use bifenthrin to control certain insects in their crop but that falls under the umbrella of restricted use pesticide requiring the special notifications and record keeping etc cetera, etc cetera. so i agree with you robert this is going to cause alarm with no context you know yeah, there is no context because. Yeah, yeah, because this is all about putting all information in its proper context. And that is not being done. And by the way, I can't help but notice anytime there's a mandate to notify, that mandate is always put upon the applicator or the grower to put out those notifications it is never put out on the authority that is mandating the notification itself well, and so in other words part. go ahead that, and and you know and to me that is essentially to, to my eyes, that just looks like a a backdoor ban. Why don't you just tell me to my face that we're banning Definitely it, we're prohibiting happen. it? Yeah, just, just tell me to my face already. I mean, don't play games. <laughs> because this whole notification thing is playing a game of incremental restrictions leading to total prohibition. No more, no, yep. no less.
1: <laughs> educate don't litigate
0: yeah uh, <laughs> i like that <laughs> the last thing i'll say there is i, I agree with you Ray, on that last point that i think we need to find a way right with the, with the system and uh, california's committed 10 million dollars here originally uh to go out and do this right and i think it's something important where um you know they have to get uh You know, if you want to get buy-in from people, right? If you want to have an opportunity to sell it to the people that are going to use it most frequently, um, it's got to be easy to use, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and I think you're going to see failures. You're going to to see stuff falling through the cracks. So, I would love to see a system where, uh, you know, essentially somebody could mark out their fields, have everything mapped out, and say, "Hey, we're going to treat this field today." And if you were a California resident or you're visiting or whatever, you can download an app. And it will track you by your GPS and say, "Oh, hey, guess what? You're entering a one mile, you know, a one mile radius within, you know, something that was applied within the last twelve hours, five hours, five minutes, whatever." Right? I think we can get there. Yep. I think that's a much, much more approachable system. But who knows? Absolutely. I'm not in tech. I'm in tech. I'm not in tech. I just kill grass. No, yeah, you're, you're not when in tech. When your aim this, is, this is when common your aim
1: sense. Edu- yeah, when your aim isn't to educate, and it's a backdoor ban you don't care about that if you really just wanted to be transparent about what's happening you would do exactly what you and i just said right but to raise point, i don't think the end game is to educate and have more transparency no the end game is to trick you to think oh i just wanna hey can i just search your car real quick it's okay you know it's just a routine stop and then next thing you Mm -hmm. know you're going to Mm go for the next six months to three years that that i'm your friend and then now i'm not i'm not your friend
2: yeah you see no you you know what robert uh i'm glad this is coming from you because robert it was veterans day right and first of all i think this needs to be said thank you for your service to our country and to our world Okay, thank you.
1: But my pleasure. Thanks, guys.
2: Speaking to your point about this, is yes, this is like a backdoor ban in disguise because, hey, if we wanted to merely provide transparency, provide information. Why is this being made into such a burden and a hassle for the grower? Because, you know, Robert, as is in, at least in the state of California, to my knowledge, growers are provide or, you know, are required to notify the state agriculture board whenever they apply something, anyway, did you know that?
1: Mm-hmm. No,
2: they, they are required to, to to make that notification. Is that if they apply apply something, the, the the state agriculture board has record of that application, and I do believe that it is not after the fact. It is you know at time of or before the application anyway, so this is just adding another layer because hey the state already has this information why are they themselves not putting it out there that okay this field is getting treated on this day at this time etc and you know this is the purpose of the treatment you know done right i mean you see what I look for is I look for in various mandates, etc., when complexity is built into it. I look for that. That's a red flag to me.
0: Well, and again, it's there's there's a lot to unpack with with how it's being implemented, and you know the risk that you assume in being in the community as a whole. I think you know the. Uh, the activist side of things would come back and say, well, you know, uh, these are, you know, these move or these, you know, for whatever reason, right. We're more at risk with these, uh, you know, and pesticides I, and I got diluted down, not in their concentrated form, but they're also mm-hmm. like, okay, what about when, you know, the steel foundry down the street fires up the blast furnace and, you know, dumps a bunch of, you know, uh, I'm just saying there's, there's, there's so many things that were around each day. There's so many things. Yeah. And, and Ryan, I'm right, and that's God.
2: I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say this is that. Look it. Did I tell these people to move within a quarter mile or less of a production farm? Did I tell them to do that? Because <laughs> that is the very issue that these seed corn producers and researchers ran into is that you have all of these people that they weren't there before but they you know bought a house right next door to the field it's like what do you think was going to happen if you buy a house right next to a field i mean come on Use some common sense because, you know, it, it's expenses, become a case you know. of, yeah, it's become a case of, okay, these people move in, the farm was there first, and now they're going to tell the farm, oh, you can't do that anymore. No, by the way, that is the very story of why there is no more agriculture in Hawaii. None. None. The only thing that exists, uh, are gourmet organic greens. I mean, Ray, that, I that's the only you're... agriculture that <laughs> gourmet organic that exists here. Green. I mean, that's the only agriculture that exists. Ray <laughs> eating that, an entire
0: trough of those every night, <laughs> like a rabbit, like a rabbit. <laughs> I can see it now. Do I look it's like a rabbit?
1: This <laughs> I... one struck a Ray... chord for sure.
0: I don't know. So Ray, I think, I think you're right though. That's, it's a case of, you know, who was here first, who's doing things legally and everything like that. And yeah, you want to be a good neighbor, but at some point either you're following the law, or you're not the notification system. While important, I think for, you know, people that are sensitive to those things, right. Uh, you know, to, to, to have to do it to everybody, I think is going to draw a lot of scrutiny, which Hey, scrutiny's fine, but scrutiny without, you know, any merit behind it is, is wrong. And I'll tell you, you know, a perfect example of this, Ray, is, you know, the, uh, the strip club that was there before the housing development went in. I'm pretty sure that's how we ended up with pasties in this world. So, again, another mm-hmm. attempt at mm-hmm. government overreach, ruining the fun for everybody.
3: Mm-hmm. All right. Yep.
0: <laughs> now it's time for Geno's Turf.
2: Geno's <laughs> <laughs> Turf! Hi, I'm Joe. I'm gonna give you a bunch of accurate turf facts today because
3: Joe knows turf.
0: Gentlemen, tonight uh, tonight's comes from uh, what, what Matt calls, I think, what does he calls it, uh, it's Facebook Crackbook. It's uh, it's from one of the lawn care groups uh, on the Facebooks. And Jay, Fink, go ahead and throw this this up here. Uh this came into us uh, friday night we sh- we've we've uh moved removed excuse me the gentleman's name that put this on here so this is from the turf and ornamental pesticide applicators topa uh on the facebook It's a group that uh, uh basically is just guys and gals that have their own businesses and are anywhere from you know first timers all the way up through uh you know season pros and so this gentleman says, I need help with pricing a job. this will be my first pesticide application and don't quite know how much to charge. I got my license, uh, pesticide license in the mail today, and I have a client wanting a weed and feed spread on the yard. I have some numbers that I feel are about right, but just checking to see about where everyone else is at. It's 12,000 square feet and $70 a bag. So, okay. Oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> now, now listen, now listen, 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 listen. So here is the Joe Knows turf part of this, right? So... You know, I know that we have people, uh, you know, in all ranges of uh, the industry in terms of DIYers. We have uh, folks that are, you know, thinking about or doing things like on the side, you know, just a little bit here as a side hustle. We've got people that are just starting out, right? They've gone full in or all in on doing this uh, as a gig. And you've got people uh, that have been around the block for a long, long time. I don't think it's, I think it's always a healthy exercise to understand pricing and to understand where the market's at. So. For this particular exercise, right, Uh, the Joe Knows Turf portion here is, not to rip this guy's asshole, but uh, we'll start there for just a second here. Listen, just because you have people wanting you to do this, and just because it's your first day with your license, first week with your license, even your first year for your license, you have got to fucking crawl before you run, okay? So, understanding the why, right? Kyle, looking at you, buddy. Love you, man. Um, you really have to understand why it is what you're going to do, what you're going to use, because we just went on for a whole 15 minute segment there about all the bad things that can happen legally or perception wise, uh, related to, uh, pesticide applications and or fertilizer applications. So gentlemen, you know, I would just ask you because, you know, Robert, even in your case, right, you, t- you said you had to demonstrate, you know, knowledge, skills, abilities, right? Experience just to be able to do what you want to do in your uh, now home country, right, for the time being. So from a standpoint of a new applicator, how would you um, advise folks to get to the position where they can feel both comfortable and confident that they're ready to go out and charge money for making applications? Let's start there real quick.
1: I'd like to first... I'm going to congratulate him for taking or her for taking the time to go and get their license. Um that's the first step. True 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 statement. Yeah, yeah, so good on you for doing whatever requirements that are in your state for getting your license before you stepped out and did this. Um the next thing that I would advise to to get after your question is um really spend some time like this is I'd put this up there with the professions like uh, welding, things that, if they go wrong, can ca- can cause grave danger to the environment or people, right So with that being said, uh, I think getting a lot of practice in on your personal lawn, um, legally, of course, um, having some type of mentor, right? I think mentors. We go a really important when You're stepping into a job of profession. Mentors, not on the internet, but a local professional that you can reach out to. Um, a good example would be my buddy Aiden, right? He's, I think he's 17 now, 18 now, and he's had a mentor since he was 15. And, uh, that person was able to pour into them that the things and the trials and tribulations and pricing things out and, Doing things that just made sense economically from a business perspective, um, the prices that he threw up and the in the the amount of square feet that it, it leaves me with so many questions. Of course, as, as I imagine everyone in the chat, and we're we're here to be nice and not necessarily tear him a new one or her a new one, um, but I, get a mentor. That, that I think that's what I can, that's the solid, get a mentor that you can go to, talk to, whether it's at your extension office or uh, your buddy that owns a company. So where you can lean on these people privately, not put it out there into the interwebs because you're going to get, <laughs> I think that had maybe 52, 52 comments on there. Oh, I could only imagine what those comments were saying. And I, I doubt Some any awful of them were very... Yeah, they they weren't very uh, kind in trying to drive him and guide him because this is a because he's got it halfway right or she has it halfway right. They have their license. So whether it's a side hustle or something, they're really trying to fully lean into. One thing that I have to 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 really take my hat off to is that you took the time to go get your license. Everything else after that. You need a mentor. That's what's clear to me. You need someone in your corner that's going to help guide you through whatever you want your business to be. And it's very clear that you lack mentorship.
0: Now, Ray, I want to tack something on to this question for you. First, I want to say something. That is a fucking phenomenal point. And it can't be overstated enough, right, that the reason that people are here watching us. And the people that we have around us, right, we're not just spewing this stuff out because it just came to us in some premonition or, you know, some uh, David Koresh, uh, you know, Branch Davidian uh, prophet-like way, right? Like that, that, that shit didn't happen, right? We, we've learned and we have built out networks of people and resources that we trust implicitly. And we always challenge, though, right? We always want to get better. And yes. so I think that's a, it's an important piece of that. So, Ray, Real quick, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with, with the time we have left in this segment here, what would your advice be on this person getting comfortable, confident to enter that marketplace? And two, a little bit about just pricing strategy for somebody who's new. Just, you know, a couple, two, three uh, tangible things, right, that they should have in mind when they start to look at pricing for their own services, not the green dock. Uh, you know, listen, either you're going to have me for- take care of your lawn or I'm going to catch you with a scalpel.
3: well
2: you know first of all you know this guy or this gal good idea for him to first of all know his material cost per thousand square feet also he needs to have a handle on his hourly or daily overhead because when somebody starts talking to me about oh, this material costs, you know, so many dollars a bag or, or bottle. I'm like, okay, what does that cost per thousand square foot? And what are all of your costs for you to be out there that day making that application? What are all of the costs? And lastly is, on top of that, Ryan, and this is my favorite part, is yep. after you've paid for your material, after you've paid for your overhead, uh, what do you think you are worth? Okay? What do you think you personally are worth? I mean, are you doing this job at cost or do you want to be able to make a living on this? I mean, that, those are my questions because I, you know, have answers for those questions for myself every time I take a job and lastly on the on the mentorship thing i cannot agree more you need to have somebody who is not a chuck in a truck but is a guy who knows what's going on knows what he's doing kind of be your mentor and oh by the way i had very good mentors but those mentors were an unlikely group of people because I gravitated towards the sod producers and the golf guys. Okay. I didn't gravitate towards the lawn and landscape people. I went towards the sod producers and golf guys. And that's why I have a different understanding of, you know, turf grass management.
0: Well, and, and I think that's it too, right? Varied experiences, right? When that's one thing that chaps my ass, right? I will say that is this whole idea that we are siloed, like, hey, lawn guys, there's nothing that you have in common with golf guys and golf guys, there's nothing you have in common with sports surf guys. Bullshit, we're all taking care of the same crop. Now, there are nuances, yeah, there are yeah. differences, there are things that you need to learn, right, that are specific to that discipline, right, of a home lawn, whether it's a high-end one or, you know... um, you know, the drunk uh soccer mom who, you know, rips eight ball lines in the school pickup line, but that's irrelevant, right? All those lawns matter, right? All lawns matter, right? And all grass matters. Time's so, up, it's over. There you go. Matt Martin telling this guy, listen, go out and get yourself a mentor there, sir. I'll make a reply on there and, and, and we'll see. But every some of the comments on there were just outlandish. Nasty. Not like picking on there was some, there were some that were picking on the guy, but a lot of it was just like Oh, man, like like argued about liquids versus granulars. And li- listen, that's the last thing I'll say on this is y- you expose yourself when you said, hey, somebody, I'm going to do weed and feed on Bermuda in mid-November. Bro, mm-hmm. bro, <laughs> the last What's thing license? we need to be talking right now is pricing, right? You know, um, mm-hmm. what, what, what do they t- what do they stay on those, uh you know, those prostitution sting cops episodes, Ray? It's only illegal until, it's not illegal until you agree on an act and a price. This guy would have been damn near illegal in that case. So, all right, moving on here. We're going to jump over to the birds. (gasps) Sheila is, uh, well, she's excited for Thanksgiving because, uh, You know, it's the time of season to get rubbed with butter and stuffed. So she's got that going for her. (laughs) Uh, Jumping over here to Scarsdale, New York. All right. So um, Scarsdale, uh, we had an article linked up last week, and I don't think we got to it uh, because of time constraints. But uh, Scarsdale, New York, uh, they put it to a vote here uh, this past election day. Uh, regarding uh, banning pesticides uh, and their use on public grounds, on village grounds, right? So, as trustees per- turned their attention to the potential pesticide ban midway through the evening, Deputy Mayor Randy Whitestone began the public discussion. His hearing is to consider the creation of Chapter 236 of the Scarsdale Vig- Village Code entitled Pesticide Use on Village Property. He said, adding that the law would merely codify the pesticide-free practices Scarsdale already adheres to on public property we have be doing our best to eliminate the use of pesticides, said Ver- Verone. Or uh, Whitestone added that creating a formal pesticide ban for the village green spaces would hopefully make businesses and residents willing to forgo them as well. Evie Schiff, a young Scarsdale student, was the first to speak. I'm definitely in favor of this, she told trustees. Pesticides are toxic chemicals, and no matter what form you try and apply them, they end up seeping into the earth, which is not healthy for the earth, and it's definitely <laughs> not healthy for us. In general, a lot of plants over time become more immune to pesticides, which means you end up eating more and more, which is more and more toxic and harmful. God damn. Um, (laughs) That was not part of the quote, by the way. She added that pesticides can also affect the health of Scarsdale's youngest patients at the municipal pool. as children run often in the grass barefoot. Michelle Sterling, chair of the Scarsdale Conservation Advisory Council, thanked the trustees for their willingness to consider turning the ban into law. It's not always easy to be a leader, but we've got to we've been doing this for many years now. I want to thank all of you for taking this next step and helping us be a leader in this area. Okay. Uh let's see here. Let's see here. Oh, this is what uh, yeah. Anne Hintermeister. Oh. Wow. Uh, a member of the Scarsdale Forum showed an adult perspective. Human and environmental hazards of pesticides are well supported, even by increasing amounts of scientific evidence that's been presented by the Scarsdale Forum Committees and the Village Conservation Advisory Council. He also warned that uh, chemicals are particularly dangerous for children and pets. They are smaller and lower to the ground. In the case of children who are developing nervous systems and organs, there's simply no justification for treating playgrounds or playing fields or recreational facilities with these products. So again, uh, we, we go on and on. Um, if there are pesticides in that grass, they are definitely getting onto your skin and into you. Oh boy. And teens that come from far to playoffs don't deserve to have sickness just because they came here to play. It's unfair what oh God. Jeez. Okay. There is so <laughs> much going on here. Alright, so gentlemen, uh listen. I admire the the uh implementation of democracy and uh the, the way that Scarsdale's chosen to handle this, right? They've 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 done it, apparently, voluntarily for years, and now they're just making it law, which is, I don't know, I mean, like, marrying your living girlfriend of nine years? Like, like what's the fucking point, right? I mean, it's common law at this point, whatever. But my question to you guys is, you know, <sighs> what would you say, right? Let's say that you uh, had the opportunity, we flew you into Scarsdale to speak that night. Do you talk to these people about what you know as an applicator? And you know, Obviously, you're the enemy and everything like that. But what do you say? And I don't mean like you can't get all emotional and fired up and pissed, although maybe you can. But what would you say if you had the opportunity to uh, provide a counterpoint or a opposing uh, perspective there?
2: Well, my perspective would be <laughs> is that once Fuck. the... Post you know, application drying time has been observed and or products have been, you know, watered in as they're supposed to be, hazard to humans is minimal. Now, if you're gonna let your kid roll around on freshly sprayed grass right after it's been sprayed, you know what? Ryan and Robert, that sounds like a you problem not the pesticides problem, okay? That sounds like a you problem. I mean, because it's as if these people are making the statement that once you apply something to the grass, that grass is now radioactive for the next, uh, you know, 100 years. That's their, you know, that's what they're implying, and nothing could be further from the truth. Because, let me tell you, I treat lawns that have dogs on them, cats on them, you know, kids running around on them. And provided the post-application dry-down and or watering in as needed has been observed, there are no problems. But I think we've gone into this phase of society that I keep on talking about, where the safety of your children and the safety of your dog and cat is not your problem. oh, we make it everybody else's problem. And I don't think that's a good direction for us to go.
0: Robert, you're a, you're a well-spoken. Uh, and a convincing <laughs> man. How would you handle this one? Because, boy howdy, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tall tall wall to climb right there.
1: This place is called Scarsdale? Scarsdale, Scarsdale New York.
0: New York. Yep, Scarsdale, New York.
1: If you flew me into Scarsdale, I'd say my good people of Scarsdale, New York, my name is Robert Lee Palmer Jr. I have served this fine country for 16-plus years, closer to 17 at this point. And I have fought for your rights for free thinking and the ability to have open access to the Internet and to educate yourself. With that being said, I urge you all to continue to educate yourself on these pesticides that you claim are so harmful. Furthermore, I would challenge you to go home and look at your common household cleaning chemicals that you use. I guarantee you they're not bio or green safe as you claim them to be here in this courtroom or wherever the heck there are at the moment. And I would ask you to read the instructions on the back of them, your simple household cleaner that tells you to wear a specific PPE when you clean your toilet. And I would ask you how many times have you used that proper PPE being proper protective equipment, right? Are you putting on gloves when you use that Clorox spray? right do you know the ingredients that's in your toothpaste do you know the ingredients that's in the subway sandwich that you just had from, from <laughs> lunch and dinner um so if you look <laughs> at these things at the processing chemicals for the chicken that you eat that's got the usda certified the one that you've been eating since you've been yay high i i i urge you to continue to educate yourself and look a little bit deeper uh, there's this thing called the material safety data sheet. You should really get into that, read into it and see what the actual science says, rather than what your mom and dad are telling you or some anecdotal information they picked up on a Twitter or a Reddit feed. Thank you for your time. That is all. That's what I would say. To
0: mic drop. Boom. And I would uh, drop the mic. <laughs> So, uh, I mean, I th- I think that's important. And, and it, yeah, like just that whole point of have some free thought and where are you getting your sources, just teaching critical thinking. Again, I'm not saying that we're 100% right. I do want to share um, this thing here. Let me throw this over to Jay Pink real quick. He could throw this up. So it, it's interesting that they, they made that mention, the, the uh, one lady there about uh, – you know, they're going to get it on their skin, right? And I want to talk, I want to mm-hmm. get a little bit deep here. This is a little bit of a, a Joe knows Turfish here. We'll dive in on our on our burns because I think this is important. This is a study out of NC State that was completed, I want to say, a couple years ago. And what they were looking at here, gentlemen, was uh, dislodgement of active ingredients of pesticides, right? And so dislodgement means, yeah, could you rub it on a soccer ball, could you uh you know skim across there are you making a slide tackle in soccer and get it on your leg. What are we dealing with here? So, what's interesting is they chose 24D. And Ray, I'll let you talk about uh KOC, right, the adsorption potential of a particular uh product, but also too can you talk for a minute about uh 24D's adsorption potential, right? And explain KOC real quick and also the solubility of two four d relative to many of the other herbicides that we currently use okay first
2: of all, KOC is how attracted a given molecule is to other materials, and secondly two four d as a rule is relatively water-soluble in its most common form. And I'm assuming now, uh, Ryan, this would be 2,4-D amine. And here's a little interesting fact. The more hydrophilic or water-soluble a particular chemical is, the less easily it passes through skin. So, Mm -hmm. the more water soluble something is, the lower the rate of dermal absorption. Versus if a pesticide is solvent based or more solvent and oil soluble, then your rate of absorption through the skin is a lot higher.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. But the other point of a product being Water soluble as being potentially good is if I had to mitigate the hazard from a three way application on an area used by the public, the steps I would take, for example, would be make the application, let the product dry, and then as soon as practical within the next 24 hours, irrigate, let dry. And reopen.
0: Perfect. Because and that's that the time, whole... Go ahead.
2: And at that time, Ryan, what would happen is any product that has not been absorbed into the weeds or the grass will have been flushed off the surface where here's what happens to that remaining 2,4-D, etc. It is bound mm-hmm. to the soil and then immediately microbes start digesting and degrading that remaining residue you won't find it in the 60 days from now it'll be totally gone
0: exactly yep. and so jping throw that chart back up real quick let's walk through this so uh we'll throw this up in the show notes too it's a really interesting thing to read and learn about and again them using uh such a um soluble uh active ingredient right was important because I think they were trying to highlight that hey okay here's about the worst it could be because number one this is the most widely used herbicide in turf grass and number two it's also one of the more uh, soluble products meaning that when you re-wet it the propensity for it to be transferred or dislodged is much higher right than one that doesn't or is not nearly as soluble so if you look at this chart uh they did this in two over two years right a couple different treatments one in 2014 another in 15 right so as you look across the chart, the DAT there, so zero DAT, that's days after treatment. So they're looking at that the first day, right? And they're looking at it right after they treated it. How much can they dislodge? So we're looking at hybrid Bermuda grass, so uh you know, probably a shorter height of cut, so less leaf surface, and we're at two point three percent of AI, nine point nine percent on perennial ryegrass, which is probably a little bit taller, a little bit more biomass right up on top, so the propensity to have more uh, AI is present. So an hour after treatment, though, we go down all the way to one tenth of one percent from two point three percent on the hybrid Bermuda, and then down to half a percent on the perennial ryegrass. Now we take that across. This is unirrigated, so they've not taken and put any irrigation on this whatsoever. The following day, well, interesting thing that they found here, gentlemen, is that that rewet from dew. Right, that's really the critical period because we're usually out of the reentry interval by this point. Right, the following day, one day after treatment, but the dew that's on the ground—that's sort of that critical period where there could be the the highest uh, chance that you would have outside of somebody just walking through the spray, which we've talked about that before, and the idiotic nature that people uh, seem to have around these materials. Right? Uh, hey, mm-hmm. why is that guy? Why is that guy in a full Tyvek suit spraying? Hmm, let me walk up to him and ask him real quick. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Jeez. it's that it's that day after. So as Ray was saying. Ray's strategy is damn near perfect, right? The way to reduce this, right, and get it down to sub 1%, right, the day after, and yeah, there is dislodgeable residues. People will go crazy and probably say, Look, 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 there's still something like, yes, but you know what? You're exposed to all those other things in the same, you know, in similar quantities, right, of other carcinogenic chemicals and things like that. I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to sit here and gaslight you. I'm just saying, like, We've evolved as a species in, li- in in spite of all the terrible shit that's around us. And let's be honest, it's gotten better over the years. Let's be honest. It's gotten a lot fucking better than it was a couple hundred years ago. Way you better. Know?
2: I mean, my goodness.
0: <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what. There's nothing that goes uh, goes well with my water like some lead pipes or, or lead uh, lead pipes with my water. And, uh, you know, I don't know what else. But anyway, point here is, you know, this is something that we all need to be aware of, and this is the kind of research that you should be keeping up with so that you can answer these questions appropriately, right? And that little Jimmy isn't going to come to Scarsdale and come to the playoff game and get himself sick, you know? It's probably when he comes over to the homecoming dance and dances with your daughter and takes her out afterwards. He's got something to worry about, right? Jimmy, 2, 4-D yeah. works just as good as penicillin. Keep that in mind. We hope. All right. We can only hope. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, hey, you know, Dan go you know, dancing with the dean's daughter. You know, weird things happen. Well, I, didn't, mm-hmm, I didn't, I didn't ask for it; it just happened. Uh, so, all right, moving on here. Let me jump back over to articles. And the, hey, uh, so the pesticide double standard, boys. This one came up, uh, and I—it's ha- a—it's an opinion piece, but I had to—I had to put it in here as a burn because, again, this is just more BS. So, pesticide residue can be found everywhere. In the air we breathe, the food we eat, and the water we drink. A growing body of evidence suggests that herbicides, insecticides, and fungicides cause approximately 20,000 deaths and 385 million poisonings worldwide each year. Okay. Uh, They also linger in in the soil for decades, harming soil fertility and leading to emergence of herbicide-resistant weeds that threaten biodiversity. And yet, despite these negative effects, industrial agriculture still relies on pesticide use. In 2017, global pesticide use had grown to 4 million tons per year, an increase of nearly 81% since 1990. Pesticide manufacturers often claim that their products are crucial to combating global hunger. But up to 828 million people, more than 10% of the world's population, still go to bed hungry every night. Clearly, the answer cannot be found in using more pesticides. Wow, that is... There's about four logical fallacies just in that fucking paragraph alone. I'm sorry. That was my opinion on this opinion piece. Um, So anyway, they go on to talk about, hey, the global food crisis compounded by COVID-19, the Ukraine war. Hey, we need to transform uh, and get away from, again, just kind of the whole EU mindset, right? We need to get away from this stuff because, you know, look how vulnerable we are. We need all these fossil fuels to make make this stuff work and that we're just relying on it as a crutch. And, hey, listen. Yeah, it's bad right now. And I don't think anybody's saying that hey, we should figure out how we should maintain the status quo forever, right? I don't think anybody is advocating that, but there are a lot of people that are having a common sense approach saying, hey, it's going to take us a little while to figure this shit out and while we do, hey, we're going to have to use some of this stuff and wean ourselves off, not just literally, you know, drop the fucking hammer uh and to use a a pre-show analogy, you know, we'd like to use the small scalpel and not the towel and the hammer, you know, to uh cut off the uh supply you know yeah. so yeah that'll be that'll being said gentlemen you know how, how do we get through the message that uh we're in this really weird period where i think you know all those events you know, these world events over the last several years have highlighted the need that hey we've got to evolve right and get better at uh you know, how how we maintain crops and how we grow food and how we get it to people and distribute it, you know, logistics, everything related to all that. But we can't just turn our backs on all this stuff. So, again, I, I, Palmer inspired me so much with his soliloquy before. I'm asking, how would you approach and message the idea that, listen, it's going to be weird for a little bit. We're going to have this in-between time, but I assure you we're going in the right direction we just can't stop doing what we're doing you know for the sake of will we don't want to do that anymore we, what What do you say to that
1: um I, did we lose right ray? ray kind of oh okay. no um, no <laughs> it's your, your, oh, you you oh, have no, the floor yeah, right you, now robert <laughs> no i got it
0: pause but ray, ray really doesn't get erections just this entire body gets erect it's <laughs> pretty interesting sheila he likes was, that about him. he
1: was, he was he was standing in a position just just frozen but i got it good people of europe um look i understand that we are concerned of the use of pesticides and um you you don't really see the proof in the pudding as far as being able to cure world hunger um but i wouldn't necessarily point the finger at pesticides the economical system that we have developed based off capitalism is more so a driving factor than uh everyone not being able to have adequate food on their table at night. It's not the pesticides' fault. It's greed. We need to love thy neighbor. We need to share. There's plenty of billionaires around, plenty of money. I have a backyard garden, <laughs> and every year I grow food and I can't consume it all. And I think at the end of my season, how are there still so many hungry people out there? But that's besides the, the point. I digress, we have to take incremental steps to get to this goal that you so desire. Um, We're continuously doing scientific-based research on the best way to do that. And quite frankly, if we just stopped doing what you ask us to do, that number of 10% of being able to be fed would increase to 30% because we would have huge crop failures globally and you would be even hungrier than you are today. Drop mic. Okay. Uh, you know,
2: uh, J. Pink brought up something very salient and important in that when these people talk about deaths caused by pesticides. Did you know that a majority of those deaths are literally intentional? And when I say intentional, oh,
0: going with okay. This?
2: No, I got. I got to. Br- I got to bring this up. Uh We haven't had this kind of talk in a little while, so here it comes. This is, is
0: turf sub radio stuff here.
2: <laughs> okay, in these developing countries, the most common Means of suicide or homicide is either paraquat or organophosphate insecticides. That is the most common way for these pesticides to cause deaths. To a smaller extent, there are accidental poisonings, but here's the factor driving the reason why so many of these less expensive legacy chemistries are even around in these countries is that these legacy chemistries are way less expensive versus what is being employed in the you know first first world and second world because uh you know i i come from the time of legacy chemistries and so it is still a little bit of sticker shock for me when i see oh my goodness a bottle of that is how much because you know i come from the time of Something costing only ten to twenty dollars per acre to apply, if not a little bit less.
3: So capitalism.
2: Capitalism. That's right. You know, almighty dollar or euro. But when you say stopping all of this will you know, cause greater hunger due to crop failure. You're not wrong. Because... But it's also a double-edged sword because I'm familiar with the almost organized crime type relationship that Big Agro has with these Growers, where I'm familiar with the terms of sale and usage on a lot of these uh, genetically modified seeds. I mean, you think you uh, got involved with the, the Yakuza or the mafia with the way that, <laughs> you know, the terms of usage are written? Because, my goodness. Yeah, you, you buy that seed, you plant that seed. That company now owns you and your entire family.
1: Well, and not, that even is not from an the company perspective, right? Not even yeah. from the company perspective. We're dealing with a populace that wants no pesticides, no herbicides, no GMOs. They want everything as if we were still in the Garden of Eden. But yeah, yet we're still they don't in the Garden even of- understand where their food comes from. I have, yeah, given they have no people food out of my garden and then mm-hmm. they look at it like, Oh, but it's got bugs on it. Well, what did you think it was going to have on it? It's in, you nature. know, Robert,
2: you know Robert, just
1: like you it. but they don't know got, what to do got, with it. If I gave yeah, someone a I whole got, chicken, the average person on the street right now, if I came up to you and I said, here you go, here's a chicken. Mm-hmm. What would they do with it? They don't know yeah, what, they do what they're, they're, they're even asking for. Yeah, yeah. They have, the have no there. life. You have no life uh, sustaining skills, none whatsoever. Yeah, none. You don't know how to read a map. You don't know which way is north. You don't know your left <laughs> from right without using the phone in your pocket. All you know mm-hmm. is push button; it gets delivered to my house. But all mm-hmm. way, you love your convenience and your comfortability of life. But then mm-hmm. you want us to go back into the olden days. You consume yeah, it, more meat. The average American consumes more meat in a weekly basis than a than a person would 50 years ago within a month.
2: I kind of beg to differ rare. on that point. I, I, I beg to differ on the, the meat consumption part. But I do agree with people not understanding where their food comes from. And, you know, Robert. You know, You said something very interesting because, you know, in my vegetable eating days, uh, I took it as a very good sign if when I was washing some produce, a little something came up floating in the sink because do you know why? Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Because at least I knew or at least I knew that there was nothing on that vegetable that would give me pause. Because mm. I know darn well what goes on in production, you know, vegetables and fruits. And my God, I've known for the longest time that whatever they do on you yeah, know no fruits and thing. vegetables. No, whatever they do on fruits and vegetables, sure as hell ain't allowed on a playing field or even on your home lawn. <laughs> Did you know that, Robert? It ain't allowed, I, I mean I because it. because
1: and then it's got like a know, thirty day cycle before you can consume it. yeah,
2: no, it's got a thirty day cycle before you can even re-enter that field. Oh wow <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you know i I just have to question all of these people in these first world countries screaming and yelling about pesticides you know even in the third world and oh guess what my answer to them is very simple well let's see you banned or disallowed these materials in your home country but by not allowing it there and still wanting to consume the produce and the products that are dependent on those same pesticides, you all have just exported your problem. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, Robert, up until the whole EU green thing, like I want to say prior to 2000, all the stuff that they're screaming and yelling about was widely used all throughout Europe.
1: And in the uk bear yeah no i know bears and, and syngenta BASF,
2: all all them yeah. but then yeah here's the thing yeah, you know what's Is happened
1: that... since then you have these companies out in poland and uh we used to be ukraine um where mm-hmm. like you said this became exported type manufacturing deals where they take these things that are illegal now in the EU, mm-hmm. and then um, you order it from these other countries. That's that's what they're right. doing here. Not to snitch yeah. on anyone or anything like that, but you know I've been hearing enough what to figure out how these guys are still having beautiful lawns without any issues. And there's always a way. You just export yeah, your you issue. Mean, it's like the it's like the prohibition era. You you, you yeah you export make your issue and alcohol. And, Illegal and what happens? Chicago becomes the most infamous Time's up, it's city. Well, <laughs> Matt Martin said it's over, so I'm gonna stop. Yeah, <laughs> Matt Martin says we're,
3: we're done.
0: <laughs> we're on to the next thing. So listen, uh no, I, I, I think it's it's one of those situations, right? Where there, there are so many voices and there's so much stuff, right, that uh, gets spun in a way that uh, portrays this industry as bad and listen like if if there were better ways that worked and there were better ways that were commercially viable uh, if there were better ways that you know kept food on our table uh, and roofs over our heads right the people that do this for a living then i think we'd be doing them i think it's not a mess you know not something where people are shutting it so we'll see how it goes but we've got to get through this weird in between phase and, uh, and keep moving forward that's all we can do Speaking of moving forward, let's jump into those returns, Jay Pink.
2: <laughs> I'm
0: back. All right, so let's jump in here to one of the bigger issues uh of the week, right, as it pertains to uh, uh, turf and natural grass. Uh, in the NFL here, the NFL Players Association is calling on six venues to change their current playing surfaces, saying that the turf in these stadiums is statistically higher in game injury rates involving non-contact and non-contact and lower extremity injuries. So, uh, basically, what they're doing here, fellas, there is a particular type uh, of of uh, synthetic turf. So when you guys see those synthetic pitches or synthetic fields on television in the NFL or you know other sports. There's um, basically two different types of turf fibers, right, that they make. Uh, one is a monofilament. It kind of looks just like a blade of grass, so it's one piece of yarn. that's stitched up through the back, and it sticks straight up. The other type is what's called a slit film, and I'll see if I can get a good picture here uh, to show the difference. But the slit films are what the NFLPA is really, really worried about, right, because uh, they've got research, internal and proprietary research, that we do not get to see. Uh, that shows that there are higher rates of in- injury instances on uh, those particular services. And so, you know, I guess it's an interesting thing here where uh, the players are basically saying, hey, you're creating an unsafe workplace for us, right? And we're going to pitch a fit right until we get our way. So, uh, you know, the owners have, have have kind of piped up here uh, in the last uh, seven days. I think it was earlier uh, this past week here. Where they went and said, Oh hey, we've got our own data and our own data shows that there's no difference in injury incidents between synthetic turf and natural grass. Or it's actually what I think they what they meant to say, they took one slide and basically kind of combined a whole bunch of different injuries and said, Look, they're actually getting closer. Whereas the line was statistically significant before. Now, uh as of the twenty one data that the, that they have, they are saying that those things are not an issue any longer. And so um, you know, I guess from, uh, I, I want to hear some reaction from you fellas. And then I'll give a little bit more background on this here, but, uh, you know, do the guys in the NFL, do they have a leg to stand on? Pun fully intended.
1: <laughs> I think they do. Um, you know, even in, in, when you go to a hospital, there are certain standards for the employees um, one of the most interesting ones were like ergonomics, right? Um, I left the medical field and I went to, uh, explosive ordnance disposal technician, but one of the, um, certifications that you get in the military hospital is, uh, HIPAA, I'm um, not HIPAA, um, JCO standards and, uh, uh, something like CAP. Cap accredited for your labs, and when you do those inspections, <clears throat> it's it, it they implore you in order to pass, you must have ergonomically sound, uh, workspaces for those employees. Things like carpet tunnel, you have to have like adequate seating areas, proper seating, um, desk to ratio profiles. That's when you'll have like your mouse pads that have the rest on it for your wrists. And we are typing. So, even in the civilian world or in the army world, within the civilian aspect of it, there are things that you must make sure that your employees are being reduced from extra risk of becoming injured while they're doing their jobs. So, I think they have a leg to stand on, and they should definitely stand on that leg and continue to press the issue um, and make sure that they have adequate playing surface areas, um, that's not going to lead to injury because that's a, that's a way of life for them. That's their lifestyle. That's their livelihood. And if you're putting God. something in that, could, that could threaten that, you know, where my career could have been 10 years long now is shortened to three years. And you know, what, what a is lot of money due to the lineage. Yes. A lot of money in generational wealth that could be handed down. To your family members, you've just jeopardized my whole lineage, as far as I'm concerned, because of you and your artificial turf. I, I think they have a leg to stand on; they should lean in.
0: But it's coming from the owners that transfer of wealth, right? Nah, come on, we want to keep it because you know, you know, we're NFL owners. <laughs> I mean, we're only yeah. we're only worth several billion dollars, you know, at the floor, yeah. Right? I'll, <laughs> I'll,
1: I'll, Ray, what do you think? Uh, capitalism that came full circle. Capitalism, yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> I love capitalism. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm just saying. There's a there's a line in the sand we need to draw, right? I think
2: that overall, uh, what does the data show? That what is the data showing that even on a less than perfectly maintained natural grass field? what is the rate of injury versus a synthetic surface? You know, Mm -hmm. what is the rate of injury? I mean, because I'm going to say that the numbers do not lie because, uh, and I can tell you that it's all about what is the actual incidence of injury. And I, I know something... Else about artificial turf in that that surface is basically it's a very hot surface as well. Unless, of course, they're going to uh innovate and put uh refrigeration coils underneath that uh that turf surface. Uh you know, that it's still gonna be a hot surface unless something is done. But uh for this. I say, too, that the NFL does have a leg to stand on, and I say they better start using it to kick some ass because I do not think that the pluses of artificial turf surfaces outweigh their minuses.
0: Yeah, and I think that's... (laughs) (laughs) and that's that's part of the issue right is that you know there are uh you know certain parts of it that allow these facilities to to be more than just sports stadiums to host multiple events and things like that but there's also a lot of that that's taking place in natural grass you know uh, facilities as well as well so uh the players are a right to push this issue i agree with what robert said that you know you have folks that have you know, a span of, you know, somewhere between three and maybe 10, 12 years, you know, to make Mm. their money and their kids money and their grandkids and so on, right? Generational wealth. And if it is, you know, in some way, shape or form taken away from them simply because, well, hey, we wanted to have, you know, the latest and greatest synthetic turf, uh, you know, the, 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 the economics just don't bear out there. Right. And not only that, but you know, it's a kind of dehumanizing way to treat your workers. I mean, imagine that, right? Imagine if you're, you know, an electrician, or you know, you own elect you know, uh, a, uh, you know, electrical installation service, something like that. You know, have a bunch of electricians working for you. So you know what? Hey, I know that uh, you know you want those insulated boots, but you don't need them. I mean, the boots, the regular steel toes, I give you, they're fine. I mean, something bad could happen, could happen, but statistic. It's statistically insignificant the fact that you may, you know, die or use, you know, uh, you know, be able to use your legs any longer, right, in a professional capacity, right? So it just, it doesn't jive, right? It doesn't jive with, you know, what we expect out of, uh, you know, our employers, what we expect out of, you know, any place where we're there to make a living. And I think that's one thing. I think the other part of this that's really concerning, right, that, uh it's kind of going under the radar right now. Is the fact that uh, you know? So this one particular type of turf, this slip film. JP, go ahead and throw those pictures up if, if uh, you got them ready and handy there. So this is the particular stuff in question that is uh, sort of concerning. Is they've split. Uh, well, there you go. Look at that. Oh wow! Look at that too. Uh, these. Uh, yeah, look. They're just they're going off. This particular type, uh, where they take the individual fibers and they kind of break them apart, right? The idea is, is that this uh, the more fiber surface right here, uh, wider apart essentially, is going to help hold the infill, the rubber pellets you see flying up when they're on the field, hold that down a little bit, so there's not so much spray. Things stay where they should be, and so that you still have, you know, essentially the same amount of uh, shock attenuation, right, on the surface, generally speaking it's also easy for you to get your cleats stuck in more easily so than uh you know some of the other ones that are out there the the uh, monofilament turf and there's also a hybrid version of this where they mix this one with the slip film and it's actually just a little bit safer so long story short is this fellas is that by calling out the slip film the nflpa you know they've 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 highlighted an issue but now at the NFL level and in you know, college and even in NCA, or excuse me, in, in, in high school, things like that, you've got people just in the last you know day or so that are going to their sports food managers and saying, "Hey, why did we put this shit in if you knew it wasn't safe?" And here's the thing: nobody really knew that necessarily going in. This data is still proprietary and confidential to the NFL. The NFL conducts all this surveillance with their teams, through the medical staffs, training staffs, right, and football op staffs. Time's up, it's nope. over. Time's up it is over, Matt, because you're putting guys that take care of the guys and gals that take care of these fields for a living in a bad spot by saying, Hey, this is messed up, this is wrong. What did you have to do with it? And in many cases they didn't have much to do with it, or even if they did and had an outsized role in that, they didn't have access and weren't allowed to see this data. So it's a really, really weird time. I hope I hope that we can figure this out uh in the short term and uh Last thing I'll say is this, is that, uh, you know, I was going back and forth with some people on Twitter this week. The 2026 World Cup is here in the United States, and they are going to play in some of these big stadiums, a few of them that are closed in that are domes, right? And there is a uh, ton of research, probably the most non-golf-related natural grass research that we've had in the States uh, since the 94 World Cup, where we were trying to figure out the best ways to grow grass in uh, that's, that's suitable for FIFA-level competition and do it in some weird spots. So. All that being said, uh, interesting enough, and we'll see what happens here. Jay Pink, let's look at that uh, last return here real quick here. And what a great story here. uh, I'm encouraged by this. That shows that there's still good people in the world, uh, Robert and Ray. Uh, So basically, uh, there's a gentleman here that's taking care of the Wilson Bridge Cemetery. Uh, He's volunteered his time. Nearby neighbor Randy Studler figures he spent more than 600 hours and 450 gallons of fuel mowing, clearing, and taming the 5.7 acre landscape at the Pioneer Graveyard in recent years, as well as spraying moss and mold covered headstones, taking care of it. Earlier this month, the Army veteran mowed the entire site and planted approximately 60 handmade wooden crosses in time for Veterans Day. All those labors of love were going before he retired a few weeks ago at the age of 74 from a five decade career operating his flooring business. So he's been doing this on the side, apparently, uh, as he's run the flooring business, but now he's seventy four retired I can't imagine working that long. Ray, I just hope I live that fucking long uh and now he's out there taking care of everything. What would you expect from an army veteran, Robert Palmer?
1: <laughs> I mean hands down hands down to that man he already served this country and now he's serving his fellow brothers that's in the ground brothers and sisters that's in the ground. um The only thing I could say is that you know I hope that he Uh, was running that through his business so he can get him a nice tax deduction along the (laughs) way while he was was providing his selfless service because that's, that's money, right? That's money that could have been going into his business. It could have been going on a vacation to wherever he, you know, so desired. So you need to get that back somehow. Um, Even though you're doing it from the kindness, goodness of your heart, um, he deserves some type of compensation. And the way that the world is today, I doubt anyone was giving it to him. So I hope that he was claiming that pr- properly within this business. But hats off to that, man. If I'm, it, it, And that story inspired me into the way where, you know, my goal is to have some sort of uh, landscaping, lawn care type business. Um, I'm definitely going to consider myself more of a boutique type of dealer when I'm done because I don't need a whole bunch of accounts I just need enough to make a very honest living but if I so happen to be in a position to provide services like that to a, a veterans burial ground where wh- where I'm able to lay my head down uh that man has definitely inspired me to pick up that uh torch for him and continue to carry it uh, I love what he's doing out there um and and he did it in quiet right he didn't need to blast it all over where it say, like, Hey, look at me, look what I'm doing. Um, he just did it in honor. And that's what it's all about.
0: It's not charity. If you have to make YouTube videos for your 300,000 followers exactly. and share them out um, on a weekly I, basis. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly.
1: You know, exactly. Don't get any respect and you know, whatever, if you got to do it, so be it. But you, you lose a little bit, you lose the ump for me when, when, when you do something to do it, but then you gotta record it and put it on social media so everybody, hey, look at me, I'm doing it. You lose a little bit yeah, of respect mm-hmm. from me. And hey, I'm just a guy, so who cares if you lose my respect, right? But um I don't I it's kind of like um all the Memorial Day posts and Veterans Days posts that you see when they roll around 911, like every other day of the year, um you don't think of us until this one day. That I, and it, it doesn't hurt my feelings, but you don't really see me engage in those things. Um, other than making a dedication inside of a video, if I just so happen to be dropping a video on those days. Um, I they they don't really hold a lot of uh a weight with me. Um, it's well, like I, the day I, when you have your birthday and then everyone says, Happy birthday to you on Facebook and you know, they don't even call you anymore. They just say happy happy <laughs> people you haven't <ever> heard <laughs> from in years. So it just it just all fits into that same category for me. It's meaningless well, at that point.
0: I think I think the the, the couple things I'd follow up with there is uh number one that uh well well three things. Number one is uh I I've I've found, at least in my uh you know, midlife where I'm at probably hopefully is maybe I like make it to seventy four, I don't know. Is that uh the folks that have uh served this country right especially the ones that have served in forward areas seem to have um more reverence for the dead than most right because i under- i think they understand uh how hard it is to stay alive for a lot of people that aren't american and don't live in this country and don't understand how fortunate and blessed we are number one number two that um you know uh, nobody's out there you know doing it for the paycheck that's for damn sure and i would hope that that they want people to live a good and full life right and that uh just as robert said that we're you know we're fortunate to have these freedoms we should take them seriously so um the uh you know and, and the second part i'll say is this is that you know yeah if you feel like you need to make a video or something like that on veterans day or memorial day or whatever uh to highlight veterans i think that's fine i think you know it it, it begs you know, for for people to engage and stay put and 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 be grounded in what American values are and all that kind of stuff. But if it becomes charity or something like that, hey man, just hop on the fishing charter, go out there and nibble on some pills, right? So the last thing I'll say <laughs> is this. The last thing I'll say is this is, you know, maybe we should change the way that Facebook and social media works. Uh, Robert, I think what we need to do is just you know uh, acknowledge those happy events that happen, not just on your birthday, but any day, so I'm going to ask each and every one of you that watches this go on to one of your friends' timelines, their Twitter feeds, whatever social media you use, and on some random day, just say, "Hey, I hope you took a good shit today." <laughs> <laughs> just leave it there. That's all right, That's it is important. You got to stay. You got to yeah. stay regular. Got to keep that fiber intake mm-hmm. up. I love it when it comes out with paper on it. And you don't even have to wipe. That means everything is kosher. <laughs> so, all right, uh, JPEG. Yeah. Do we have? Do we have any mailbag sure. tonight? Mail. We, mail do? Bag, yes. we do? We <laughs> do. Oh, boy. All right. Throw it up there because I don't know. I can't see it. That's
3: okay.
1: Uh. So do you remember Grass Thief from the yes, yes, yes. on Thursday? Yes. He... Yes. Yes.
0: That was, that was the guy that witnessed relocation your location program.
3: Yes. <laughs> he did get his... I'm from uh...
0: Charlotte. <laughs> you are? Mm-hmm. <laughs> He did get us. Why do you sound like you're from Trenton? Ah! (laughs) He did get us the soil test here. Let me let me throw this up. He seems like a (laughs) nice guy. He was super (laughs) awesome.
3: Uh, All right. So uh,
1: I I remember he was talking about the levels. he switched over to Homo and and the organic matter. He was concerned about raising that and just trying to make
0: things okay uh the thing i'll say about the organic matter he's at 1.54 percent uh he's gonna have no problem root cycling and generating an absolute metric shit ton of organic matter with tahoma by far the most biomass of roots that you'll see on any grass ray i'll i'll fight somebody on that one the roots on it are impressive they're deep they're thick uh Great mass. I mean, there's it's everything that you want to have, uh, you know, as far as that goes. So I'm not so much worried about that. Let's go ahead and look at uh, what he's dealing with here. I'm not quite sure what these. I'm assuming these are parts per million. I I don't know. I can't tell who actually that
2: that is the. uh, If I'm looking at this correctly, that is the number of pounds per thousand square foot and they're trying to equate that to adequacy and you know what i would say that all this guy would need in order to grow his tahoma 31 is literally 0.1 to 0.2 pounds of nitrogen per month of growing season stopping approximately a month before dormancy. That's all he needs. Because mm-hmm. he doesn't have an issue whereby his potassium is on the floor, his phosphorus is on the floor. No, he doesn't have anything particularly out of range or inadequate. Uh only wild card would be is if he starts to collect clippings, then he's going to need to consider adding in potassium and phosphorus to compensate for what he's removing. But other than that, if he's, he's if this is just talking about mowing a lawn and, and fertilizing it without doing any of that extra stuff, then all he needs is just nitrogen. And don't worry about adding, quote, unquote, organic matter, because the only thing that I've seen come from adding organic matter or attempting to add organic matter is a depleted bank account and more work on your part to remove that excessive organic matter from the soil later when it causes you problems
0: there. There you go. I think uh, (laughs) the only other thing we got to figure out is, uh, one, when he's gonna come on the show 'cause he is uh he seems like a really interesting dude to talk to. I kinda like his uh his mindset where he was like, you know, I I've been staring at this fescue and it hasn't been growing and I saw my neighbors in Bermuda and he he went full full deep six Sing. and said, You know what? We're not <laughs> yeah, gonna do <laughs> and we're not gonna do some bullshit four nineteen or something like that. We're going all in on this. So the only other thing we gotta figure out is uh how we're gonna circumvent customs to send uh Robert Palmer over uh, a couple uh, square feet of uh, Tahoma to throw the ground over there and just F-A-F-O. Oh yeah, I got <laughs> you. <laughs> little, little, little care package. package. I'll
1: give you the secret address. i give you the secret give address. You, We're good to go. You do that. <laughs> <afternoon>, <laughs> I'll send you a little care package. I cracked I crack that code. I like, I like the recommendations that this soil test gave too, because it, it was right there in line with what you guys said. It was like, Hey, you know, don't worry about phosphorus or potassium. And they said give a kick of sulfur, and I imagine that is to keep that pH in balance as he moves forward.
2: Well, not only that, um, to supply a little bit of sulfur. So literally, at his given soil pH and sulfur levels, can yeah. you imagine his lawn on 0.2 pounds of AMS nitrogen per month?
1: Yeah, that—that that, cool. I mean, he'd be rolling. And, and I think it's good that you've mentioned if he's catching his clippings because he's probably real mowing and um i don't know so here in germany is weird because they don't ever they never recycle like that's like bad juju they they've been convinced and doctrinized to where mulching is like the the the, the devil's fruit itself so they catch all really? the clipping um yeah it's weird right um so you know what but- he may be cl- catching clippings and I think it was good that you put up and put out, Hey, if you are doing that and I think it's worth mentioning, Ray, If he is catching his clipping, it's not like he has to go out with phosphorus and potassium throughout the entire year, right? He just needs to focus on a good application in the spring or maybe, uh, actually spring. What in needs the to fall be done. To- what needs to be done is not so much soil load,
2: so much as just apply small, you know, amounts in coincidence with nitrogen because gotcha. the nitrogen will, will, you know, drive uptake of the phosphorus and the potassium. I don't okay. like the idea of people pounding P and K one Two time spring. a year Two times just a with year. the hopes that it'll last that long. I mean, it's because, okay. you know, that just doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, my preference is to have it. That's common
1: practice, present. right? That's what, that's what they're being told and taught.
2: <laughs> the easy button, yeah, but right? No, or actually that's the, that's kind of like the old way of doing it, which mm-hmm. is fine and good if you're dealing with something where you cannot get in there and make additional applications. But I'm just saying that if you are growing Bermuda grass you are making small nitrogen applications throughout the season that's just how how you maintain bermuda it's opposite of a cool season grass where you cut your in in the summer and you got to take it back up in the fall i mean if right. he's growing bermuda he's fertilizing from late spring until about a month before dormancy he's just constantly feeding 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 in small
1: amounts so it's a little bit different yeah yeah yeah. okay no i think that was especially when he goes back and listens to this i think it was good to flesh that out for him assuming it's a him you know and the
2: the oh it is it's a it's this guy where let's see what do you think ryan trenton or newark
0: I'm gonna say Which that, one is uh, it? that our friend has seen some shit <laughs> in his day, and uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to keep it squarely on squarely on lawn care. Uh, he may have gotten in a fight yeah. two. I don't know. I, I'm just I, oh, I, I, I'm right. I'm postulating here, but you know, hey, he he seems like a nice guy. Because, I'd like to talk to him
2: because he, because he doesn't sound like he's from the Carolinas. All right, I
0: mean, <laughs> now he doesn't it, sound it, like. <laughs> BB or he sounds like he's
2: from, No, he sounds more like he's from the, uh, oh, let's see. What shall I say? The Italian part of Jersey.
0: Hey, there uh, you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. But not Jersey Shore. <laughs> Just saying. Not that, so.
3: Enough,
1: Jersey right. Shore. Not Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, gentlemen, hey, listen, this was fun. Uh, Robert Palmer, sincerely, uh, first, thanks for being on here for, uh, you know, for filling in for Matt. I know he wants to be back soon. He will be back soon. But uh, what great, uh, greater way to have uh, somebody sit in his chair for the night? Uh, all the way 7,500 miles away from Ray and me in the middle. So, hey, we made, uh, we made a worldwide Demet sandwich tonight. Gosh, it feels yeah. good, boys. Thank you so much. <laughs> we'll see you guys on the next one. <laughs>